We all have a creative part of our brain, whether we use it or not, for generating new ideas, problem solving, and just viewing ourselves in this world. I am Ricky McGeckron, an artist living in Chicago, and I am eager to know and share with you all how people of a creative leaning have brought this way of thinking to the forefront and how it has shifted outcomes. When I lived in Boston, I hung with a very tight group of guys. During the week, we all worked our demanding professional jobs. On the weekends, we were almost always on some sort of wonderful New England adventure. Provincetown during the summers, in Vermont the rest of the year. Hiking, snowboarding, ziplining, you name it. Sammy was one of the gang. He was just one of us. Once or twice a year, we would be invited to see Sam in a new way at one of his performances. Sam is a singer and an actor, and we would get to see him expressing another side of himself and showing talents that he had worked and sacrificed a lifetime developing. At these times, when he left us all in tears, we were reminded that Sam wasn't just one of us. He was really something special. One night, I got an urgent call from him, and he wanted to discuss something important. We met at the bar of the Bell in Hand restaurant in Somerville, Massachusetts, and he told me he was moving to Los Angeles. He didn't have everything figured out, which is unlike him, but he needed to make a change. I was very excited for him, and I knew that with his talent, smarts, work ethic, and his great faith that he would be just fine. I am pleased to share my conversation with my talented friend, actor, singer, composer, Samuel Moscoso. We start this interview with a bit of No One Will Ever Know, a song he is the author and composer of. Places that I go, the places that I hide, at least I have my pride. Well, when I was listening to that, it reminded me of being a, a painting for the ears. When I'm doing a painting, I have like the concept and the big idea, and I'm trying to convey this idea to people that are looking at a canvas with all of these tools that I have. And the tools are composition, I have changes in value, I have changes in color, I have different ways that I can apply the, the paint. And I was thinking it's kind of the same way with you, and you have the lyrics, and so tell me about that experience of starting from nothing and creating something as amazing as that song. Uh, well, first of all, thank you. Um, it, can, it can vary depending on the subject matter, depending on the individual experience. So I write from both my own experience and also from that which I'm, ex I'm inspired of others. Um, and speaking specifically about that song, that song, there's a book called uh, The Glass Castle by Jeanette Walls. I've read it. Years, you read it? Mm -hmm. 
Okay, so I read it years ago and I was just inspired by this woman's story. Um, and that inspired me to write that song. And I wrote it kind of together in concert with both the music and lyrics kind of at the same time. That doesn't always happen. Sometimes I'll hear a, a motif, a musical motif, and the lyrics will come later. Sometimes the lyrics will be something that I wrote earlier on and then I've now matched it up with uh, music. Sometimes that process can be very quick. Sometimes it can be more drawn out over time. But that uh, specific song was written out of inspiration uh, from that woman's story. It's interesting that you have this like highly creative experience and you are putting something out into the world, out into the universe. But then there's so many other people that you have to deal with. There's like the whole business side of things, Completely. Uh, which, you know, specifically living in Los Angeles, that's a, a bigger part of your experience. Me, I'm just an artist living in Chicago. So it's a much simpler situation. And also the, you know, my artifacts are physical artifacts that are physically distributed in general. Um, whereas what you're doing is um, there's a lot more c connectivity that you have to have with people. Yeah. It's, um, you know, I certainly did not come up with this, but it's called show business, not show art. Right. So there's a whole other aspect of the industry. Um, the amazing thing with the advent of the internet is that irrespective of your art form, no matter how obscure it may or may not be, there's an audience for it. It's just the, the challenge is finding, finding that audience. Uh, but again, with, the reaches of the internet um, and the interwebs, we have the ability now as independent artists to put out music in ways that are accessible to millions of people. So the key is to be strategic, I think, um, really know who you are, know what you're trying to achieve, be true to your own integrity as an artist, uh, while also understanding that there are other aspects of of getting that material out there and reaching uh, an audience at a larger scale, if that's your goal. I find it fascinating that we live in a world where you can actually distribute your stuff, whatever it is, to a global audience. It used to be a situation where, and I've talked about this a lot on the podcast before, that if you had creative content, like a song or even a book, you would have to rely on a big company because they, they were the ones that controlled the mechanisms to distribute it to the masses. Um, obviously, this is not a new concept, but I think that, I don't know if younger people fully appreciate that. Anybody can put something on YouTube or SoundCloud or on Instagram if you're, if you're a photographer to a global audience. Yeah, I mean, Instagram, whether it's you're a photographer or a musician, I mean, lots of musicians use, uh, use visual art in their uh, visual representation in their music art form. There are so many avenues for, for independent artists now. And to your point, like younger artists may never know the, the, the woes of having to, um, you know, rely on big corporations and big labels and other gatekeepers to give artists permission to have a career. Uh, and you don't really need that anymore. Um, the, the, everything in life is a trade-off, right? So, so the benefit is that more people can do what they love and you don't necessarily need 
and uh, a fan base of millions of people to have a career, you know, the trade-off is that because more people have access to it, that means that there's more competition, right? So there's more mm -hmm. potential noise to cut through. Um, so, but again, it's just about finding your audience. There's plenty of people in the world and uh, somebody is going to like your art somewhere. Let's talk about your childhood. Specifically, okay. <laughs> uh, I know that you were raised by parents that were professional singers and they traveled around. I know they were in Germany at some point. Can you tell me a little bit about your parents and, as it relates to their singing career? Because that's fascinating. We got married in 1970 and moved to Germany in 1972. My dad, um, they both had graduated in 1970 my mom with her in her undergrad with in English she had studied music but she was really pursuing a career as an English teacher so she met my dad um, they met in Maine at a summer resort uh, my mom grew up in Maine and she was working um, she was working uh, in the laundry her job was to wash dry and fold a thousand towels a day um, and this particular resort would go down to the music schools in Boston and they would recruit students, music students, to come and work during the day and perform at night. So they had recruited my father who was studying um, at the Boston Conservatory, studying vocal performance. This almost sounds like we're going down a dirty dancing route here. <laughs> totally like that type of resort. The resort was in, um, uh, it was in, uh, Center Lovell, Maine, at uh, at uh, Quisasana is the name of the resort, and totally that type of summer resort where like the family would go. This was 1967. Um, totally like picture like Dirty Dancing. The whole family goes for the summer, and um, my dad had been recruited. And he was the kitchen manager um, during the day, and that was right down the hall from the laundry. So that's how they met. So fast forward to 1970. My dad graduated with his master's. My mom graduated with her um, bachelor's in English. And then they got married um, that October. My dad was then auditioning for opera companies and he got hired by this company in Germany in Oberhausen and off they went. How exciting for your mom to be getting married and going to Germany with her, her husband yeah. who is an opera singer. That sounds very exciting. Yeah, off the one. And my mom, she was, she was always up for an adventure. She still is. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so they originally were part of a touring company, um, and they would travel around. I was in, uh, in Oberhausen. So they were just two young lovers and artists. And my mom, even though she wasn't pursuing music going to Germany, she, um, because she had had a background in music and she'd studied, so she auditioned for the chorus. And so she started working, um, in the chorus because she was just involved in that whole world and that whole life. And that's what they did. Um, 180 performances a year, um, kind of nonstop. So it's pretty wild. That sounds like a very unique experience because most people that I talk to on my podcast, I'm talking to creative people. Most people grew up in, I wouldn't say most, but many people grew up in environments where being creative wasn't necessarily encouraged. Um, certainly as people kids get older, the parents are usually trying to guide them towards something that is a little more guaranteed for a career, like a traditional career as opposed to a creative career. So can I assume that living a creative life and lifestyle and a profession was something that 
you always felt was a reasonable path for your li- for your life moving forward? Good question. And surprisingly, no. My so my parents always encouraged uh, both my sister and I to listen to our hearts, to be to be true to ourselves. And I never felt like my parents specifically were steering me towards any one direction. And while I grew up in an artistic environment and I was singing professionally as a child and I was touring um, in high school, I, I always thought, and I don't know if this was the worldly influence of, of the nature of things, but of, you know, of society, but I always thought that I needed to have a, a, a backup plan, which, you know, people say, you know, you shouldn't have a plan B because plan B comes, becomes plan A. But so I've always done other things and I've always worked and I've always done multiple things. So I always kind of felt like I needed to have this other career in order to be able to really do what I wanted to do. But that was um, not necessarily from your parents. That, that was, was not driven from my that parents. That was a Sam thing. That was a Sam that was kind of being influenced by society and the traditional route and you know, so I never thought like even initially right out of high school, I wasn't I wasn't gonna go to college right away. And because I didn't really know I knew that I wanted to do music and I was already doing music and I knew that I wanted that to be part of my life. But I again I was still thinking like, oh, I have to do something else. But I'm like, but I don't want to do anything else. So I wasn't initially going to go to college, you know, right out of school because I was like, I don't even know what I would go to school for. But then so- very last minute I I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, when you were in high school, you mentioned that you were touring. And I remember you telling me that your high school experience was a little different because you were spending a lot of time outside of school doing touring. And the reason why I I sort of interjected is it sounds like when you're in the process of making this college decision, it's not like singing was just a hobby for you. Like it was definitely something that you had really dedicated a lot of time and you also sacrificed a lot because um, you weren't part of school a lot. It remind, I remember when you were telling me that we had some Olympians, some figure skaters that were from my hometown in Burlington and my sister went to high school with them. And I remember her telling me that they were never in school because they were always off training. And when you told me that you were in school a lot, that's what it reminded me of. You were off training for this in developing this skill very early on yeah I was tutored most of um sophomore and junior year um I really wasn't in school (laughs) very much but um yeah so it was odd that I didn't think uh I think pragmatically it stands to reason that I would have thought a natural a natural progression would have been to then go on and start auditioning for performance-based colleges and I didn't think that. And it, I was predominantly working on classical music um, because I was also studying at, um, I was, uh, I had auditioned in my freshman year for the preparatory school at the New England Conservatory of Music. So I was studying classical music at NEC while I was in high school, in public high school. And um, so again, I, it, I, you would think, or one would think that I would have thought, well, maybe I will parlay this into you know, why wouldn't I audition to, to go to NEC for my undergrad? Yeah. Um, but I, it just didn't, I don't know, for whatever reason, it didn't, it didn't click.
I wonder as I stare Isn't anybody out there? Doesn't anybody see? Have you forgotten me? Still no sign Let's talk about being a vocalist and singing and training is that something that most people could become a competent singer if they just spent their time working on it? I liken it to any physical activity, right? If you have a natural ability to play tennis, you just kind of pick it up as something you love to do. You can still improve in your, your, if you get a coach and you know, if you're training for any type of elite athletics, it's going to be in the fine tuning, right? Your, your elbow position on your backswing or your, you know, if you're playing golf, how you're holding your hips and how you're driving your shoulders. They're, usually they're fine tuning those movements. It's the same thing in singing. If you can phonate, if you can create sound, if you have a functioning larynx and voice box, you can improve upon what you have. And it's often by making those minor adjustments to, to, to train your vocal cords how to coordinate through the different registers, okay? So it's just like it, as a runner, if you, can, if you are able-bodied and you can run, you can train and improve upon what you have. You can learn to run faster, right? But that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to go to the Olympics. Yeah. Right? Okay. So as a singer... As a, if you have a functioning voice box, it's a combination of things. It's a combination of um, regulating, regulating your airflow, sustaining pitch, ear training, um, proper balance of tension within the muscles. Uh, there's a lot of different things that have to come together to work, to coordinate all those different muscle groups. Uh, but you can improve upon what you have. Now that said, there are some voices that are just special, right? Like like the Whitney Houston's, you know, of the world, or, you know, classical music, the UC Bierlings, or, you know, there are just, there are some, Leontine Price, there are some voices that are just special. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that so, makes sense. Yes, if you can, if you can phonate, if you can create sound, you can absolutely improve upon what you have, um, for sure. What is it like singing someone else's song versus singing something that you wrote yourself? Is that a different, tell me about those two different experiences. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I enjoy them both. <laughs> There's a lot of great music out there and you'll see even major artists uh, covering each other's music um, because we're all inspired by each other. I think when there's a mutual admiration of different artists' creative expressions, I think I think that's really beautiful. And there are, one of the things that makes music relatable is when songwriters write about shared experiences. That's why there, there are so many songs about love, right? Whether and, and heartbreak. Yeah, love, losing love, you know, finding love, searching for love, sending love, sharing love. It's it's such a kind of a universal experience. So um, I think when you hear a song that inspires you, that you relate to your own interpretation is unique to you. 
even though it's somebody else's song. You know, that's why there are some amazing singers that were interpreters or are interpreters, not necessarily songwriters, you know, like Whitney Houston, amazing interpreter, Celine Dion, amazing interpreter. She doesn't write her own music. And one of the things that I appreciate about Celine is that she's so grateful to songwriters because yeah. she recognizes that they give her something to sing and something to 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 share and to exp- you know the ability to express herself. Yeah, uh, you bring up Whitney Houston, and uh, I know that obviously her most famous one of her most famous songs is "I Will Always Love You," and I always think about the fact that that was a simple song written by Dolly Parton, and Whitney Houston took that and made it something fantastic. And I think about that all the time when I'm creating something that is based on maybe a a simple photograph and I'm doing a painting. I'm thinking, I'm going to, I need to think about doing what Whitney Houston did with Dolly Parton's I Will Always Love You. Like this is a simple, basic photograph. And I always think, how can I, how can I do that? How can I make this I will always love you out of something simple? So I think I think about that all the time. You know, that obviously relates to what you were just saying. Still no sign Everything is not fine Will the sun never shine Or the day will be mine I did not like Los Angeles when I first started going out there 20 years ago. Um like hated it. I was like, you guys can keep this. This is awful. Um, but I think I just didn't understand it. Um, cause it just, the, the vibe is so different than the Northeast. It's just a different energy. Um, it's a different landscape. It's a different lifestyle. Los Angeles blurs the line between work and play. I think much more than I think the Northeast in my experience in Los Angeles, even if you don't work in the entertainment industry, you might work in finance that supports the industry. You might work in legal that supports the, the a student. So you might have a client meeting on a Tuesday night. It's a client dinner, or you have some event because you're, you have a client who is an artist or you have to go to a meeting on a Sunday morning. Like it's, I think the lines are much more blurred. And so to me, that was somewhat confusing a little bit when I first started going out there and also understanding that you could go to a pool party or a barbecue and people are working because people are always trying to network and, and meet someone. And um, that was off-putting to me initially until again, I started to understand the rhythm of the city and also understand the kind of how to network and even what that means and understanding that that when you're networking or you know even if it's whether it's formally networking or informally, because um, any social gathering is potentially an opportunity for networking, but it's not about what can you get from other people. I think a lot of people go into networking like, oh, I need to meet this person because this person can help me or this person, what, you know, who's that person? What can they do for me? And I think that's the wrong approach to networking. I think a better way to network and a more effective way to network is to know who you are, know what you have to offer and know what your gifts are, know how you can be a solution um, source for someone else. Um, one of the things that I love about Los Angeles is that there's this creative collaborative spirit I think that I've experienced more than 
I think any other city that I visited, um, some of it you have to weed through some of the lip service, but I think generally there's, so everybody's out there trying to do something. So people are, people are doing, and to me that's inspiring. Still no So this concept of knowing who you are, that makes complete sense to me. And it, I can understand the value of anyone knowing that. Did you know who you were when you arrived in Los Angeles and you're like, I'm Sam, this is where I fit in? Or was it, okay, this is really big. I need to figure out with my life skills, with my background, where do... Where do I fit in? I had just gone through or was going through a, a very deep um, transition in my life. Uh, and I needed to do something new. I needed to take action. Uh, I know you and I have talked about that before, about taking action. And I wasn't really sure. Um, I knew that I needed to make a change in my life. And I didn't know what that looked like. And so um, I was considering a handful of cities. Um, and I landed on... Los Angeles, and I packed a bag and got on a plane. <laughs> so when I got there, I did not necessarily know, like, I know who I am, and I know this is what I want to do, and this is what I'm going to, you know, I'm going to set forth, which, you know, in, in hindsight, you know, I, I would, I'd like to say that I wish I could have done it differently, but I couldn't have, you know what I mean? You, you make the best decision that you can at the time with the information that you have, and I when I got there, I needed to, I needed to decompress and I needed to heal and I needed to just spend some time listening. So much of my life in Boston was so frenetic um, all the time. Um, I wasn't creating enough space in my life to be creative. I got to LA and I was sort of like, I just need to just sit with this and sit with myself and just kind of meet people and, and learn the vibe and you know, just kind of figure it out from there. I think the idea of just listening and being quiet is so important. Um, I think that it is, there's so many distractions to people, especially when you're working like a corporate job. Um, it's a nightmare. Like there's so much coming at you. <laughs> you, can, you don't have a moment to really listen to find out like what, or what the right, the right next step is. So the way you just described that, like going, you know, when you were in a situation that there was a lot of, sounds like mental chaos and chatter, and you wanted to go someplace and to, to be quiet, so to speak, in Los Angeles, which seems odd, but it makes perfect sense to me, <laughs> um, kind of getting away from everything. So that sounds like a great experience. talk about taking action. Okay. Um, you are a man of action and you are always doing stuff, doing things, always doing things new. I like that about you. Uh, most of our friends are, are the people that we hung out with in Boston are very similar. And uh, 
I think that is, that is something that I highly value in my life and I, I value that in other people. So t- tell me about that, why you think that's important. You know, I, um, so I battled depression in, um, in high school, kind of major clinical depression um, in high school. And I th- think that um, that's probably something that will always inform um, my life. Uh, it's something that I will always potentially have to deal with in some shape or form, but I've developed tools and strategies on how to, um, to not allow myself to kind of go down the rabbit hole and, and, and spiral. So sometimes I rely on uh, more about what I know than what I feel, if that makes sense. Because I think feelings are legitimate, and emotions are legitimate, but I don't think they necessarily always tell us the truth. And, you know, being in Los Angeles and being a creative and being self-employed, if I don't feel like getting out of bed, because I'm having a bad day or because I'm in a funk or whatever, I could, in theory, just stay in bed. But I know that, so again, this is where relying on what I know, I know that staying in bed is not necessarily going to make me feel better. I know that even if just going to the grocery store, taking action again, taking action to get up and go, Mm -hmm. relying on what I know, or just get out of the house, go for a walk, you know, move your body, get your blood flowing. I recognize that those things are going to make me feel better. Still no sign, but everything is gonna be fine. The sun's gonna shine. How does prayer and spirituality uh, work with all of this for you? Um, I know that the church is a big part of your life. So can you share with how that fits into all of this? Uh, For me, it's, it's really, it's, it's everything. It's the, it's at the root of everything. It's, it's at the core of everything for me. And it informs how I live my life. Um, I'm a firm believer that, you know, the word religion, it means to bind together. There's, there's strength in community. Um, and I believe that for me, religion and religious, like I've had people, I've had people kind of tell me about, you know, they don't, they're not religious because they don't, they don't want rules or they don't, you know, they don't want anyone or any organization telling them what to do or how to live their life. And so I, I get that for me, religion and and having a lessons and uh, a, a way to interpret the world around me to me the rules and structure i think we we need that we need those rules and to me the the i don't necessarily think of them as rules but in terms of the guidelines of to me that's for my own enrichment it's not to it's not to restrict my life it's to enrich my life it's like you tell a child you can't cross the street without looking both ways that's not a punishment that's for the good of the child no you can't jump on the bed not because i don't want you to have fun but because i don't want you to fall off and hurt yourself um so to me the the guidelines that are taught within religion um and in religious teachings um it's for our own enrichment it's for, it's for the betterment of um of us i'm also not one to tell anyone else what they are should or should not believe um i'm open to talking about my own experiences but i don't project that onto anyone else um 
Yeah. I so when you so when you were saying that you went out to Los Angeles and you were being quiet, it sounds like so prayer was a big part of that for you. Huge, huge, absolutely. The thing that has made me the most excited about this conversation with you is this okay. concept of knowing who you are. So, so what would you what would you tell people who hear this and think, yeah, I think that's important, but I don't know how to do it. What would you tell them? I would recommend a book, and I, this book I read kind of just before I moved to Los Angeles when I was trying to make decisions. The book is called The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. And it speaks to, um, it's, a, it's a short read and it's very pragmatic. It poses a question, it offers a, a, a potential way to approach a solution, and then it says, okay, so how do we do that? And it's very pragmatic. Um, and for me, I thought I understood meditation until I read this book. And a lot of it talks about observing the thoughts and the voices and the noise in our head, not necessarily acting on them or giving them any um, value, but just observing um, all of these thoughts that just run through our brain. And so um, for me, being able to observe, like you said, just listening, I'm not necessarily trying to change them, but observe and understand what's going on within you and taking kind of stock as to, as to what's going on and listening. Um, and then, you know, really think about the times in your life, hopefully there have been some time in your life where you've felt um, the most connected, whatever that means to you, whether it's connected to your art, if you're a creative person, connect, connected to your work, connected to your life. I think I've definitely experienced where I feel like I'm just going through the motions and I'm not really living my life. And I don't necessarily feel connected to my life. My life is just sort of happening around me and I'm just existing. I think that uh, paying attention to a time in your life when you did feel the most connected, again, whether that's to nature, whether that's to the world around you, to your family, to whatever it you is important to you. And hopefully if you don't know what's important to you, recognizing those times in your life that you did feel connected or that you felt purpose-driven, that that would inform you about what is important to you and what makes you thrive and what makes you flourish. And then I would go back to one other thing that we talked about, about taking action is that uh, if you find yourself in a place where you are stuck, where you don't know what to do, I think it almost doesn't matter what you do. The point is to do something, is to take action. Because again, that goes back for me is that motivation comes after action. So I think that is a great way to wrap this up. Um, Sam, thank you so much for chatting. Thank you. Me. This was fun. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. I wonder if I'll make it.
My name is Ricky McGuckran, and you have been listening to Eager to Know, the podcast. If you haven't already, please go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Eager to Know podcast. 